I invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's word as we continue in, in worship together. Our scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I know that, um, I know that not everything is back to normal, uh, and I don't know if we'll ever return to a normal, but it does feel as though things are, are, are livening up. It does feel as though the winter is thawing, and, and can we just take a minute and celebrate the fact that baseball is back? That's, that, that's a good thing, right? That's a good sign. That's, that's applause. We should applaud for baseball, yeah. But truly, I mean, like, I don't care if the Royals lose 150 games this year. I will, I will take great joy in sitting in the cheap seats and watch them lose terribly. And they're actually doing pretty good, but, but I am just excited for baseball. I'm excited for some sense of normalcy, some sense of return. But, but here's what I want to say to that. Even though I think we're eager to return to some kind of normal and excited to start doing things, we shouldn't be surprised when our desire to do things is quickly replaced with the desire to do something else. You, you track it with me? Like, w- I think we are naive and we kind of forget how insatiable our desires are and how quickly we become bored with the thing that we're doing and how eager we are to move on to the next thing. I think it is so true. And in fact, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, who I think is brilliant in a lot of ways, uh, he had a, a com- uh, his most recent comedy special that he filmed right before the pandemic started in March. Uh, he, in one of his opening jokes, he talks about this problem of the human condition in very comedic ways. He says this, Wherever you are, anywhere in life, at some point, you've got to get out of there. You're at work, you want to go home. You're at home, well, I've been working all week, I've got to get out. You're out and it's late, well, I've got to get back. I've got to get up for work. And then he goes on, he concludes here, nobody wants to be anywhere, nobody likes anything, we're cranky, we're irritable, and we're dealing with it, dealing with it by constantly changing locations. That, that's, that is the, the human heart, that's the human condition, our longing for more. Really what Seinfeld's pointing out is our inability to be content with where we are, with what we have, with who we are, and with what we're doing. Or to put it in a more pointed way, we are starved for joy. And, and we all laugh, at, you can laugh at this because you, you hear the truth in it, but you also feel the truth in it. We are starved for joy. And I know while many of us are eager to return to normal, whatever that is, what we really need to return to is joy. And if we are going to return to normal without returning to joy, we will return to disappointment. And so this morning, as we continue on, we're we're in the season of Easter, celebrating the resurrection, it is appropriate that we begin a new series that we're calling Return to Joy, where we will be unpacking and looking at the most joy-filled book in the Bible, 
the book of Philippians. But before we kind of turn to our text, I, I, the, the question is kind of still within our minds and hearts. What is joy? How do we define it? How do we explain it? How do we identify it? And maybe more importantly, how do we get more of it? And so I want to offer a definition to us, and and there's many definitions that we could pull from, but this is one that recently our pastoral staff has uniquely been drawn to. Uh, And and it comes from a a psychologist from UCLA, his name's Dr. Alan Shore, who's been referred to as the Einstein of modern psychiatry, and he's written a three-volume work on, on how the brain works and operates, how it's motivated by joy, And here is Dr. Alan Shore's definition. The Einstein of psychiatry says this, joy is when someone is glad to be with me. Joy is when someone is glad to be with me. Now that doesn't sound very deep, it doesn't sound very intellectual, it's not very exhaustive, but but its beauty is found in its simplicity. We all know this feeling when, when you are with someone and they see you and there is this gladness of heart this brightness of smile, this wideness of eyes, just because they are with you. In fact, a a recent example of this was last Sunday. As we gathered, if you were with us, as we gathered outside for Easter, there were so many faces lighting up, even behind masks, faces were lighting up, precisely because people were seeing one another for the first time in a long time. Reunions were happening all over the place. There was great joy because people's faces were lighting up and seeing one another. In fact, my face was lighting up so much that actually I was so overjoyed, I went and hugged someone who I thought was someone else. That's what joy does to you. It makes you hug the wrong person during a pandemic. I don't know if I should have done that, but but joy is the face lighting up in response to someone else's face lighting up when they are with you. And so while that may sound like a mushy, kind of emotional definition, it's actually a very biblical one. And and as you're hearing this, you might be thinking and bringing to mind the oldest blessing in the scriptures from Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, this is the oldest blessing of the people of God, a blessing that we say over our children when we dedicate them here. It's a blessing that we sang over one another at Easter. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. This is joy. And the Bible's message says that God has created you and me for joy, particularly to delight in him. And God says that his desire is to smile upon us, to look us full in the face and say, I'm glad to be with you. And that may sound trite and trivial, but when we understand the character of God, this is his love towards us and this is joy. And so as we turn to Philippians, I want us to kind of keep this definition in mind, and and what we're going to see is that it fits very well with what Paul describes joy as. It's couched within relationship, and Paul's understanding of joy predates Dr. Alan Shore, so he's got one leg up on him, But, but keep your Bibles open to Philippians 1, and as you do, I want us to see in our text together this idea that I want us to all cling to, that joy is found when we are found by another. Joy is found when we are found by another. But again, the question is, how do we find this joy? How do we get this joy? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time together exploring and answering that question. Joy is found when we are found by another. And and we find this joy uniquely, first of all, in a community that is committed. A community that is committed. Now, next week, we'll give a little bit more context to the letter to the Philippian church, but what you need to know today for our purposes is that the letter is written by the Apostle Paul to the collection of Christians in Philippi, 
Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome, that's debated, but most likely in Rome, and most likely facing execution for being a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to the Philippian church to express his joy and gratitude for their partnership in the gospel. Listen to how Paul opens his letter in verse three and five, three through five. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Keep in mind, the brothers in prison facing execution. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with what? Joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so imagine Paul. Paul is in his prison cell, the darkness of his prison cell, his weathered and worn face as he is penning this letter. His face undoubtedly is lighting up as he's bringing to mind and picturing the faces of the Philippian Christians, many of whom he led to faith in Christ and who have been influential in the spread of the gospel. And then this letter arrives in Philippi and undoubtedly the Philippian Christians are reading it and picturing Paul's face and their face is lighting up as they're thinking about their beloved apostle who has brought them into the life of the kingdom. The Philippian Christians are committed to Paul and Paul is committed to them, and it brings about joy. I mean, in some ways, this is not that dissimilar from what we just experienced earlier in the service. As we celebrate with our new members, with the McKeever family and others, we are committed to one another. It is not this religious obligation. It is a way for us to be committed, members one of another, that we might cultivate joy. When we commit to being members of this church family, we need not do so out of religious obligation, but rather out of our love for Jesus and one another. And that brings about joy. And this point is reinforced by what Paul says immediately following in, in verse eight. Look with me at verse eight. For God is my witness how I yearn for you, I long for you, I desire to be with you, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. If we want to be a people who cultivate joy, who return to joy, and, and seek to find this joy and be found uh, as a community of joy, then we need this kind of love that, that loves like family, that's rooted in our love for Christ and his love for us. I mean, this is who we are as a church. If you've been around Christ's community, you know our mission statement. We desire to be a caring family. We first declare who we are as our identity, a family. And I know we don't love perfectly, I know we don't reflect the, the beauty and warmth of a family in all ways and all times, but this is who we long to be, and it is good, church, it's good for us to remind ourselves of who we are, to bring ourselves back to our collective identity. In fact, in, in their great book, The Other Half of Church, uh, Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks speak to the importance of this work of church communities reminding themselves of their identity in terms of cultivating joy. They say this, they say, the roots of our group identity deepen and spread when we remind each other who we are. Regular reminders ground our identity in the character of Jesus. We need to tell each other what kind of people we are, a family. Not only as a reminder, but also to immerse new Christians into their new identities. When we gather on Sundays, we say very often that the church is a people and a place where anyone can be loved like family. We believe that. We don't always reflect that, but we believe the church to be that kind of community. Now, this is why, if you've been around Christ's community, you know we highly value the, the practice and the habit of remembering names. We're not perfect at it, 
but it is something that we deeply value, not because we want to impress you with our great memory skills, but because we know the meaning and the value of learning someone's name and saying it correctly, you know what I'm saying? Like learning someone's name and saying, I want to know who you are. To love someone and to know someone starts with knowing their name. You can't have a great, deep, intimate relationship with someone if you don't know their name. It must start with remembering names. And so if we want to be a community that is committed to one another and that is longing to return to joy together, let me suggest to us the simple but very profound habit of remembering names. It may sound overly simplistic, but I believe this is a keystone habit that produces love between people, it shows hospitality, and it cultivates a joy within our community. And so church, what I would say is greet people. Go out of your way to connect with others. Be willing to kind of swallow your pride and say, I know I should know your name, but, but would you tell me your name? It's like, it's Reed. It's Reed. I'm the pastor here. You should know my name. But, but seriously, like, when, like, be willing to admit that if you've forgotten someone's name, connect with others, make connections between others. May we be a church that loves well in remembering names, not as an end in of itself, but as a means to cultivating joy. Remembering names is a way that helps create the kind of joyful community that our sister Carol has found here. And throughout our, our series in Philippians, we're going to be sharing stories of joy from across our campuses, but I want to share one in particular of a sister of ours here at the Olathe campus who has found joy in this church. Take a look. You're going to make me cry if you start clapping. Oh, man. But truly, like, now hear, hear me, hear me. I know not everybody has Carol's story. I don't want to pretend that, that, like, this is exactly who we all are. I know that there are some of you who say, like, that is so far from what I've experienced in church, maybe even in this church. But, but we want to share part of Carol's story as a way to say, don't, don't you want this for yourself and for others? Don't you want to be a community that, that where anybody is able to say, I know I feel late to the table, but I'm glad that I have a seat and that I'm welcome here? Church, I want us to be this kind of community. A community that is compelled by stories like Carol's, a desire to be a community committed to one another, and that does, it starts with the simple habit of remembering names. So if we want to return to joy, if we want to be a community that is found being filled with joy, we need to be committed to one another. But secondly, I believe that we find joy in a life that shares. It's found in a community that is committed, but also in a life that shares. Now, now remember, the basis of Paul's joy is rooted in his partnership, his mutual partnership with the Philippian church. And there's something about a life that shares that brings about joy. L listen to what Paul says in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you were all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now notice that not only did the Philippians share in Paul's joys and victories, not only did they share in, in supporting him financially with their time and energy and resources, but they shared in his struggles, in his failures, in his sorrows and suffering. Joy is found when we are found by another, and that can happen when we are found in times of pleasure and times of pain. I think we all know this to be true. Joy is strangely absent when, when we are in a moment and experience something good and lack the opportunity to share it with others. We've all been there. You're watching a movie by yourself, and you're laughing, and you're not laughing as loud because there's no one there to share it with you. 
You're, you're enjoying a delicious taco and you don't have any friends there to, to share and witness the goodness of God's creation in this taco. We all know that feeling, but it's true also of pain. In times of sorrow, when there's no one there to suffer with you, that compounds the pain. The only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. And I think many of us can speak to this reality, the strange phenomenon of finding even joy in times of suffering when it is shared with others. And we'll talk more about this next week. And more can be said about this, but, but if, if as we think about being the kind of community that cultivates joy together, it's found in a life that shares. And so let me offer one, again, this is gonna sound super simplistic and elementary, but one way that we can practice in growing in a community of joy is by practicing prayer. And again, that sounds super simplistic, it's like that's what you've got? Now, if, if you're new with us, you may not be familiar with something that we've started recently called the formed life. Uh, the formed life is our daily pathway of engaging spiritual habits together as a church. Uh, it's, 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 uh, you can find it on the formed.life, that's also the website. And so if you haven't signed up for that, I encourage you to do so. There's daily ways of engaging in habits of spiritual formation. And this session that we're starting this week, uh, we're focusing on prayer in the formed life. And so I would encourage you to, to, to sign up. You can also grab uh, the journal companion that goes along with it. These are available at our welcome table outside, so please feel free to grab one on your way out. But I believe that, that prayer, it's, it's unique, and it's a timely practice for us as a church in this time when it's harder and harder to connect in person with people. And so prayer becomes this, this meaningful way for us to share in the joys and the pains of others even when we can't be together. And, and Paul, Paul was no stranger to this. I mean, again, the brother's in prison, and he is still filled with joy as he is praying for his Philippian brothers and sisters, lifting them up and filled with gratitude for them. So even in his prison cell, distant from them in body, Paul is still able to rejoice through prayer. But it required him being at least close enough relationally so that he knows something about them, something about their joys, and something about their pains. And I want that for our church family. And my, my guess is you want that too. You want us to be a people who know each other well enough that we can enter into each other's joys and enter into each other's pains. To genuinely, as Paul says later in Romans, to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. A life of joy is found in sharing our lives with one another, and that's both in sharing our joys and our pains. So joy is found in a community that is committed. It is found in a life that shares, but lastly, joy is found in a God that never leaves. Joy is found in a God that never leaves. If, if, joy, if joy is being found by someone else, if we come to find joy in being found by someone else, then that joy must be great when we are found by someone great, right? And, and so what, what kind of joy is to be expected when we are found by the God of highest heaven? What kind of joy would you expect when the creator of joy itself looks upon you, full in your face, and says, I am glad to be with you. I want you. You are mine. We find a joy in God we find a joy when we are found by God, and particularly when we are found by the God that never leaves. This is the love of God. It is a joyful and a loyal love. 
And we get a hint of this joyful, loyal love in what Paul says in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So not only do we see God's joyful and, and loyal love toward us in beginning the good work of redeeming us, of, of forgiving us, of rescuing us, we also see it in his joyful, loyal love in sustaining us and keeping us until the end. God's love towards his children is a love that never lets go, that promises. It is not predicated upon how good we are once we have come to faith in Christ. He sees us through to the end. The joyful, loyal love of God says, I have seen you at your worst. I have seen you do your worst. I have seen you treat me as the worst, and I'm not leaving. That is the joyful, loyal love of God who looks you full in the face and says, I am glad you're here. Our God delights, our God uniquely loves delighting in the things that he loves. And that includes you and that includes me. If you are in Christ, you have been granted the blessed gift of being an object of God's affection and joy. That is a high standard and status to receive. That the God of highest heaven, the creator of joy itself, delights in you, finds joy in you. You see, the author of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 2, pens these words, maybe familiar to us if we've been in church. He says this, we're speaking to Jesus. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross on our behalf in order to forgive us of the penalty of sin, in, in order to protect us from, from the power of sin, and to one day ultimately deliver us from the presence of sin. And he did so enduring agony and shame and death, but he did it with joy. How on earth did Jesus do this? With joy. And what was the joy that Jesus was pursuing the joy of Jesus enduring the cross is what God describes through the prophet Isaiah 400 years before Christ has come. In Isaiah chapter 53, another familiar passage to us that prophesies the Messiah, we read these words, speaking of Jesus, our suffering servant, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he, referring to the Messiah, shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, looks down the corridor of time before you and I were even created. He looks down the corridor of time and sees every single person who would be redeemed and forgiven through his sacrifice on the cross. And in this moment, Jesus is satisfied. He delights in the reality that through his death, his agony, his shame on the cross, that he bears our shame, he does so with joy, knowing that many will be made righteous through his sacrifice. Seeing the many sons and daughters who would be made righteous through his life, death, and resurrection lit up the face of our God and our King. 
Friends, joy is found when we are found by another. And there is no greater joy found than when we are found by the God who never leaves. Amen? That is our greatest joy. The God who sees us broken by our sin, who sees us burdened by our guilt, who sees us buried by our shame, looks at us and cries out over, over each and every one of us, there you are. I've been looking for you. I have found you. Come and enter my forever family and enter my joy. Do you want to return to joy? Do you want to find life that is satisfying? Then return to the creator of joy. Return to the one for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame for you and for me. The one who made a way for us to be found by him and to found, find our greatest joy in him. Church, let us return to joy by returning to Christ our King, the King of joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment asking that you would r remove any and all barriers, lies that we've come to believe about ourselves, about you, about the good news of the gospel. May we find you to be our God who looks upon us through the eyes of Christ and says, I, I delight in being with you. Lord, that is not because of anything we have done to earn your favor and affection, but purely because you are a God who delights in your beloved. Out of the love you have for your son, we receive that love. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here who has been kept from the joy-filled life of being known by you and seeing your face light up as we enter your presence. Would you grant them, through the power of your spirit, the ability to see your face lighting up as we see you as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, would we be a people who are committed to one another, who share our lives together, and who believe and trust and delight and follow and worship the God who will never leave us. Lord Jesus, be our king and be our joy, and may we be found in you. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.